Another action-packed episode of the Fusion Underground. Welcome, everybody, all five of you. It's great to have you back. Um, I'm your host, Manuel <laughs> Ramirez, and I'm joined, as always, by my good friend and brother, Jason Moret, in the virtual studio. How are you doing, sir? I'm good, brother. How are you? I am hanging in there. I'm going to do my best to get through <laughs> this show. Uh, if I sound a little off, that's because, well, I am. So just not feeling a hundred percent, but I wanted to go ahead and get through the episode because I could be feeling worse tomorrow. So, but, I'll, but otherwise, oh, otherwise you got we're the COVID? here. <sighs> no, I don't think I have the COVID. Not that kind of feeling crappy. Not that kind of feeling crappy. <laughs> But this is an this is an exciting one because just this, checking, yeah, yeah. Have people writing up, sending me hate mail, wishing for my death, right? Um, right. We're gonna <laughs> infect everybody through the airwaves. Yeah, exactly. I should put my we're mask not on. Masking up while yeah. recording. Get my mask on. So tonight's a. <laughs> to, tonight is a <clears throat> is a special one. We're kicking off our season two. First episode of season two here at the Fusion Underground. And what we try to do here is we try to make sense of the world by having principled discussions about such topics as entertainment, current events, politics, and culture. Our mission is to educate people to become critical thinkers so they can live more empowered and happier lives. As always, you can find the show on our website at fusionunderground.net. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash AZ Fusion Underground. <clears throat> we do have a YouTube channel. We do have uh, a Twitter account. So we're on Twitter. I've been using that a little bit more to just promote not only just the show, but uh, to <clears throat> tweet things that I find are kind of interesting or funny. And you can catch all of our audio feeds on Anchor, Breaker, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, Stitcher, and Apple. We are on the Apple iTunes store now. Uh, but if you go out to our website at fusionunderground.net, you'll be able to find access to all of those things, all of those different feeds, and you'll have access to the video and the audio show is embedded in there, um, the whole nine yards. And of course you can send us hate mail at contact at fusionunderground.net. And I think we're gonna start getting more hate mail. It's just a, uh, it's just a hunch. And the reason why I say that is uh -oh. because we're gonna start in season two, we're gonna start extrapolating our principles and values and aligning them to things that are happening in the real world. And we're going to be making distinctions between liberty and collectivism and all that sort of stuff. So 
hang on to your butts. It's going to be fun. <laughs> so the real. Yeah. Yeah. So the topic of today, so we were kicking around the topic for the first episode of season two, and we're going to be talking about feedback, getting, receiving feedback and the difference between feedback and negative criticism. Cause I think there's a difference. And sadly, I think we live in a society where any sort of feedback is perceived as an attack on our person. And that's just not true. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So that's yeah, where we're at. I can go with that. All right. But, uh, but first, I have, I have, a, I have something uh, that I thought was kind of, kind of funny. And I will go ahead and right. share that with you. You, you know, I think, I think, um, I think 2020 feels like this and, you know, we're just living in a, we're living in a world where things just don't make a whole lot of sense. Um, given, you know, given everything that we're, uh, having to undergo with COVID and, and all of that kind of stuff. And uh, so I found this and I thought it was funny and I wanted to go ahead and share that with everybody. So for those that are unaware, here's, here's a, um, here's a little video that I found off of Twitter. Just take a look. There's no sound. There's no sound to this. This is a street cam that just records, you know, all of the illegal stuff that you do on the road, on the road. So take a look at this. Ow. <laughs> it just, it just, it's just insult to injury. So the video, the video so for those listening. Hit. Sorry. Did he fall into a manhole? <laughs> storm or a storm drain or something. Here it is again. And there he goes. Oh. <laughs> so for those of you who cannot see this, there is a red car that turns left. And in the process of turning left, he hits somebody on a scooter, on a white scooter. And the rider of the scooter, of course, gets knocked off, goes sliding about 10 feet, and then falls into the storm drain. <laughs> so, Oops. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a I, lot I'm, of... I'm curious. I mean, how many roads do you go down where the, the storm drain or the manhole cover is open? Yeah. I, I don't know. <laughs> it's just... It's, it's <laughs> one in a million chance right there. Yeah. Here's, here's another one. I think there might be some sound on this one. I thought this one was pretty funny. Again, people whose days are going from bad to worse. So there are two women here and there's some kind of a planter and they're lighting, they have a lighter and something else in their hand and they're trying to light it and uh, just watch what ends up happening here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so <laughs> they tried to light something and they got so scared by it that they ran and away and nothing happened but they left. <laughs> no, they Did I, she lit so right here. Uh-huh. She lights it. It's a firecracker. 
Oh, she okay. lights the firecracker and drops the lighter. Oh gosh, I I couldn't I can't hear anything. Um, so she drops. So the she must, she ran with the firecracker back into her room. Yeah, oh and then God. the and then the firecracker explodes. So again, people having a <laughs> having a really bad day. Um, this one I thought was was kind of cute. Um, I saw this one as well, and uh, actually I need to reshare so that I can get the sound. Um, Cause I think you'll, I think you'll appreciate this one for all of those who have little kids, little, a little kid who's about, you know, 18 months to two or so and sitting on a outside on a table with her Husky dog. It, and the, the, and the, the freeze pain looks very much like a jack-o'-lantern. That's kind of creepy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> keyboards now <laughs> but <laughs> i'd be yelling at both of them contact at fusion underground.net <laughs> you guys suck <laughs> child knock it off dog go inside <laughs> good lord that's cute in a very 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 loud and obnoxious kind of way mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah in a very very loud and obnoxious kind of way um, okay, there's a so let's let's dive into it because um, you know what I want to what I wanted to talk about. Okay, or one one thing I wanted to talk about, kind of leading into our. Oh, 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 wait a minute! Before we do that, I have one more, and I completely forgot oh, all about oh, this. No. Oh. Yeah, I okay. uh, I completely the, forgot all about this. But you're gonna be- you have to see this because um, well I saw it, so I have no idea what is happening here. I don't know why it's happening, uh, but it's but it's happening, and I just I don't get it. So let's resume this, and here you go. So what we've got is it looks like some kind of dance recital. Some people are sitting on the floor, and there's a group of uh, naked people in the middle of the floor here. Yeah, I I don't I don't know what's going on there. Wait, wait, I can't. I'm. Wait, 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 wait. wait. That was intentional. Like they they planned that. They planned that. So for those that are not uh, listening on, uh, was what a dozen. Grown adults, <laughs> naked, with yeah. their hands on each other's hips, 
Chasing forming each a chain. Other around in a circle. Yeah, yeah. Right. I I don't understand. It's gotta be Berkeley. Tell me people I, I, doesn't they don't pay to see this. Well, I think it's Berkeley. I think that's uh that's something that happened at Berkeley. That 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 looks like something that would happen at Berkeley. But I don't know. I, I have no idea. I don't know why people would do that, would hold on to each other naked in front of a bunch of in front in front of a an audience and just run around in circles, men and women. Okay, time out. Big time out. If you don't understand why they were doing that, mm -hmm. how am I supposed to understand why you are sharing that with our audience? Because right now I'm <laughs> disgusted with you just a hair. <laughs> <laughs> I'm listening. <laughs> <laughs> this is the kind of this is the kind of stuff that I end up finding when I'm on uh, social media or whatnot. I don't know how I find it. I don't go looking for it. It just happens to come across my feed, and I thought, okay, well, I have to, I have to, I cannot be the only person to see that of the people I know. So there you go. So you not only feel that it's necessary, you share it with me during the yeah. show, but also yeah. any poor, poor person who happens to be watching our show, they can also see it on YouTube. Yeah. Thank you, sir. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> Christmas came early. <laughs> I don't know whether I say what the hell is wrong with those people or what the heck is wrong with you brother? i'm a little concerned now <laughs> oh, yeah Gosh. all right well let's uh let's get into this so the last week there's been a really interesting thing happening on happening on social media um there have been a large group of collectivists and when I say collectivists, I'm really referring to leftists here. You might want to call them liberals. You might want to call them communists. I really don't care. It's all one and the same as far as I'm concerned. Uh, but these, these people, and what's, what is also kind of frightening about this is many of them are academics. And they have been, for the last week, going off on social media saying that two plus two can and sometimes does equal five. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm all ears. So I don't exactly know who started this whole thing. I heard a couple of different stories that somebody recently started the two plus two equals five, but other academics have glommed onto that. And, you know, even math, te even math teachers have embraced the idea that two plus two equals five. And one person in particular, uh, I'm not going to mention his name on here. He's a doctoral student. I think he's a doctoral student at Stanford, but he has a background in physics and mathematics. <clears throat> and so he wrote a diatribe on social media about how two plus two can sometimes equal five. And because he is a quote math expert, unquote, many people really just embraced <clears throat> the idea embrace the concept. So I wanted to kind of unpack that a little bit. And okay. there is a teacher 
who wrote about this, and this person was a math teacher, um, and the article is called Woke Math. Woke Math. And Woke Math. Yeah. She's a teacher for what is called, she's a teacher at Washington, no, it's uh, Washington State Ethnic Studies Project. I have no idea what that is. But she is a teacher, uh, or she's a secretary director at the Washington State Ethnic Studies Project, but she's also a math teacher. Um, and here's what she wrote, she wrote in the arena of ethnomathematics. Ethnic studies is about more than just multicultural history. It requires us to literally change how we see, think, and feel about the world. Woke math means waking up to see our own internalized white supremacy, waking up to see how we perpetuate white supremacy in our daily engagements in the math classroom, waking up to the idea that the reason the mathematics world is filled with white men is because we have allowed ourselves to believe that only a certain caliber of human, wealthy and white male, is capable of truly understanding how the world functions, thus allowing that caliber of human to control everything. <sighs> okay. So this is the kind of stuff that is okay. bringing its take, you know, worming its way into the classroom. Before I begin, and um, do you have any thoughts that you would like to lend? Um, you know, I thought the idea that math was racist was ridiculous when you brought it up before, but obviously I was just completely ignorant of my own subconscious, um, unaware, un unwoken racism within me because I actually um, thought math was math. So no, 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 no. I am just overwhelmingly excited to hear that there's actually a whole new black math out there apparently ethnomath because we can't there there's absolutely nothing oh whatever there's absolutely nothing sacred or true when it comes to any of this anymore and i think that's the whole idea honestly it's the whole idea if we can eliminate the idea that anything is fact then everything's debatable and I can prove you're wrong. And that's what we're down to. It's just, no, I'm right. My idea is right. I'm in the right and you are guilty of wrong think, no matter what we're talking about. So I can control you out of guilt. Well, you know what? I'm getting tired of it. Two plus two equals four. Get over it. There's nothing racist about it. There's cultural influence in that at all math it's called counting <laughs> so i think there are a couple of things at play here and i think i think they get a they they confuse a few things but there's also an underlying um, toxicity in here that uh, is i think really terrible for society so let me let me first kind of walk through the things that i think they're confusing um when we say something like two plus two equals four, what we're doing is we have put together a mathematic expression, I should say an equation. We've put together a mathematic equation to describe something that happens in the physical world. And so based on that equation alone, we are describing 
the physical world or the objective world. Okay. Um, and that's, that's totally fine. Many of these academics are now, in my opinion, confusing the world of the subjectivity or the world of the subjective in with describing the physical world. And there are things in this world that matter more than other things. So for example, your Washington Redskins hat that you are wearing right now means nothing to me. Okay. But it means something to you based on the history that you have had as yes. a fan with that team. The hat means something to you. To me, it's just a hat. It doesn't make me feel outraged. It doesn't make mm -hmm. me feel jealous that I don't have a hat just like yours. Hell, I'm wearing a hat, right? Um, <clears throat> so there are right. things that matter more and that's the world of the subjective. Okay. And so I think some of these people are misguided because when they say two plus two can and sometimes does equal five, I think what they're trying to do is blur the lines between objective truth and subjective truth. Okay. Your belief okay. in the Redskins hat and your, you know, your connection to it is a subjective truth for you. You're not lying when you say that that hat means something to you. Sure. You're not, that is, a, that is a fact according to you. And when I say, well, it doesn't mean anything to me, that is a fact according to me. That doesn't mean that the objective world can exist in both states at the same time. The objective world is the objective world. And we would describe that hat objectively if we were talking about the objective world. We would describe the size of it, the color, the fabric that it's made out of, the stitching, the type of logo that's on there and everything. And that is a description of the physical world but your attachment to it is subjective right. and part of the subjective world. So I think they're blurring those two lines. The, where things get really crazy in this, in this regard is for hundreds of years, leftists have been trying to control the objective world. And for example, they have tried to do that through controlling economics, for example, controlling, placing themselves in control of the production and the distribution of different goods and services. And they have even gone so far as to set price ceilings and price floors to try to control uh, those products and services. And the reason for that is they want to control human behavior and they want to control human behavior so that the behavior of you and I aligns with their ideology. So if they control the objective world, then we have no other chance or, or no other option than to pro promote them and embrace their ideology because if we don't, then we lose access to the goods and services that we want to consume. Now then, leftists have done an extremely shitty job of controlling the, the objective world. And we've, you know, they, they give these pie in the sky, rainbows and unicorns type of utopian pictures and their ideas always fail in practice. And it always results in... Yeah mass incarceration, mass torture, mass murder, while they struggle to control human behavior. And why? Because they are unable to control the objective world. So now if you can actually change the way people think, and if you can control what people think, then you don't have to change the physical world. I can control human Correct. behavior. If I get people to agree that two plus two equals five, then that's the ultimate form of gaslighting. It becomes very easy for me to say, as the head of the state, I can say, well, you should trust me, right? 
And I've built and I've spent years building up your trust so that when I say two plus two equals five, you go, oh yeah, that sounds totally reasonable. And then when I say, well, you need to buy this product or this service at this price, you go, oh, okay, that seems totally reasonable. And if I say, well, we need to control your life and force you to do this thing, then you say, oh, okay, that sounds totally reasonable and I'll do that. And people end up subjugating themselves under oppression. So that's the danger of this. And in fact, George Orwell wrote about this in his book, 1984. In the the book, one of the characters at the end of the book tries to get the main character to say that two plus two equals five. And for those that read that book, whether you read it in high school or things, they have, you know, the, the state in the book, 1984, has various sayings like, war is peace, right? Because if you're always in a state of perpetual warfare, out of state of perpetual warfare with something else, and if they tell you, well, no, we're actually, it's actually peacetime, if you believe two plus two equals five, then you're going to say, oh, well, then we must be at peace. This is just the normal way of things. If your world, if your lifestyle is absolutely shitty and you're struggling to put food on the table and you have to rely on government to take care of you and to put a roof over your head and clothes on your back and food on the table, that may seem uh, extremely poor to you or bad to you. And if you can get them to believe that two plus two equals five, then you can also get them to believe that I live in the lap of luxury, even though I have nothing to eat. And even though I have no heat or, or cooling in the, you know, throughout the year, and even though my home is falling apart, my government housing home is falling apart, and even though my government health care doesn't take care of me and people are dying, um, as long as the government tells me that, well, this is just the normal way of things, well, then how would I know any better? Over time, generations would not know any better. They wouldn't know what it's like before the state took over and implemented these types of rules. And now you have the state controlling human behavior. And so this is why I think it's extremely dangerous. And we have people online that are bringing this up. We have, and you know, a perfect example of this and why this is manifesting now is people are online and for the past several years have been trying to convince people like you and I that there are more than two genders, that there are hundreds or unlimited number of genders. Infinite amount of genders. Correct. Infinite, right. infinite amount of genders. There are articles being written now in very prestigious or what were prestigious media sites like the Washington Post or the New York Times that have headlines such as man gives birth to baby or men can have periods too, right? They're basically telling us that two plus two equals five. And if you don't believe that a man can have a period, well, then you're just a bigot, homophobe, um, you know, misogynist, um, animal thinking, you know, uncivilized type of individual. So you have to believe what they tell you. You have to believe that there are more than two genders. You have to believe these things. Otherwise, they will do anything and everything to destroy you. Thoughts? Well, <clears throat> agreed. <laughs> In a nutshell, um, I, I've been saying this before, and, and so I'm glad you you brought this around the two plus two equals five line of thinking because it is something I've been talking about. If you can acquiesce that a natural part of reality does not exist, 
or that a natural part of reality exists only in the manner that someone else tells you it does, then you are malleable to believe anything that they tell you or anything they want you to believe. Um, the minute you start acquiescing to the idea that there's more than two genders, well, then what else is go are you going to be malleable to? Um, we've talked about this with um, the relinquishing of individual liberties or freedoms, bite-sized pieces at a time. You know, uh, democracy in most areas is not given up um, in one fell swoop. It's it's much like eating an elephant. You eat it one bite at a time and you get people to give up individual freedoms one piece at a time um, all for the sake of the the greater good or for whomever might be telling them that they're um, they know best for all of the citizenry or all of um, all of the race and so they give those individual freedoms up each time and next thing you know you have um, everyone living who is subject to uh, government tyranny and that's that's happened it it's happened all over the world in various forms and what shocks me is that nobody seems to be able to look right out in their own front yard and recognize that it's happening to them right now but that's that's been my issue with a lot of these um social justice movements and a lot of this other stuff it's you know everybody's gotten to a point I think now where they're, they're willing to say, well, that's just the way things are now. That's just the, the world we live in. And I say, you know what? No, it's not. And it doesn't have to be, but it takes people being able to say, no, I am not going to accept that. And you can call me whatever you want. You can say what you like, but two plus two is four. There are two genders in our race. And if you want to try and tell me <laughs> something else, well, you can tell me until you're blue in the face. But guess what? Um, that's not reality. If that's your perspective and that ideology, cool for you. But that's not going to be mine. Right. And we, we've had, <clears throat> you know, we've had... Um... 70 plus days of rioting going on in Portland, Oregon. And yet the media tells us that these are peaceful protests. So this is another oh, form of two plus two equals five. War is peace, right? War is peace because right. we know, we know that when we see people rioting in the streets, it's not peaceful. We know that it's not peaceful, but the media continues to say, well, these are peaceful protesters. Now, of course, some people are trying to be nuanced for the sake of trying to protect their movement. And they're saying, people will say, well, not all of them are rioting. Well, yeah, not all of them are rioting. I'm sure there are parts of the mob that are getting together and not rioting. But that's not what we're talking about here. When the media is showing buildings burning to the ground and the person is standing there saying, the reporter, the journalist is standing there saying it's a peaceful protest, they're telling you that war is peace. That's what they're telling you, right? Um, yeah, and, and, that, and, and on egregious. top of that, shaming, yeah, and, and they're, they're shaming the viewer, you, me, and everyone else who's watching that um, into believing that we are wrong 
for thinking otherwise. How right. dare you believe that this is violence? How dare you believe that this is destruction? Um, and if you cannot see past this, all this that's burning behind me, if you can't see past it and see the, uh, the purity in the movement, then you're the problem. No, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm really, I'm done with all this. I think it is time for, for, for to stand up and start being honest with themselves and with other people and say, when you see the buildings burning behind there, say, peace. That the evidence is right there on camera behind you. I'm not hearing it anymore. The problem is not me. Well, and there was there was an example, and if you think I'm if you think I'm going crazy here, there was an example several weeks back. I think it was either CNN or MSNBC. I don't remember which. It was one of the two. They had a journalist who was in, uh, I believe it was Portland, and there were a, there were buildings that were on fire in the background. I mean, like not just on fire, like a conflagration. The building was burning to the ground. And the journalist stood in front of that building. It was in the background. And he said that it was a peaceful protest. He said that. Right. And that. people are looking at this thinking, no, this isn't peaceful. And we even had somebody from, uh, I think it was CNN just the other day, ask, where is it? Where is it written? that gatherings have to be peaceful. And it's like, well, right in the Constitution of the United States, the people have the right to peaceably assemble. Yeah, we have. <laughs> right. You know, again. How dare you ask such a question? Right. So again, two plus two equals five. This is, <clears throat> this is why that type of thinking is so dangerous because it's the ultimate form of gaslighting. And they will tell you that these are peaceful protesters. We have, we have Antifa, Antifa, I don't know what it, how to pronounce it. They claim to be anti-fascists. They're burning, they're burning books. They're bullying people. And, and these are the exact same things that they did in Nazi Germany. And they are the exact same things that the Bolsheviks did during the Bolshevik revolution. And yet Antifa, what do they say? Well, they say, well, we're not fascists. It's right in our name. Look, our name says anti-fascists. Well, that doesn't, I have to judge yeah. you by your actions, not based on the name that you took. The Department of Education exactly. doesn't educate anybody, but yet we call it the Department of Education for crying out loud. Right. So anyway, um, I wanted to share that with everybody because I, I figured, um, you know, why should I yeah. hold on to that and, and, and um, be irritated by the idea of two plus two equaling five. All right. Yeah. And. Um, I, I had a conversation with somebody about this at work because they were asking when and how is this ever going to end? And I said, you know what? The responsibility does not lie on um, the government or law enforcement or anyone else out there to try and make it. And that responsibility is going to fall towards and on us as the people to be able to say enough is enough. Yeah. Well, and I think this ties in with our, with our topic. So, um, so let's jump into that. Right. So I introduced the topic at the, at the beginning of the show as being about feedback. 
And we get feedback or we should get feedback. We should look for feedback all the time. And for those that have been listening for since the beginning, earlier in, in season one, we played a clip of Joe Rogan saying that you have to, you, you, it's important to speak, but it's also important for people to call you out on your BS and say what, what you have said doesn't make any sense. And other psychoanalysts have said the very, this very same thing, that thinking is very difficult. And we talked about this on the show, that thinking is very difficult. And that in order to really think, we have to be able to speak our minds. And that's why free speech is so important. <clears throat> because we say something, and then people will challenge those thoughts because we've put them out into the public sphere. And so now we have to listen to their feedback, their criticisms or whatnot, and then pull that back into our consciousness and figure out, do I have assumptions or are some of my um, initial axioms, are they incorrect? And do I need to update that? So if you are measuring something in the physical world and you come to the conclusion that two plus two equals five, well, that shouldn't jive with you. And you should say, okay, the way I described the physical world or this particular phenomenon, there's something not right here. One of my presuppositions might be incorrect. I may have, I may have reduced things too simply to derive or to arrive at an erroneous conclusion, right? And so we need to be able to do that. Otherwise, we will never be free thinkers. And so receiving feedback is extremely important not just in the public sphere by getting on social media and talking about our political beliefs, um, but also in places of our employment. And so I had a situation, I wanted to give you, I wanted to give you a chance to chime in here before I get into it, but I had a situation where um, I had some people that were, that perceived my feedback as being um, offensive to them when all I was doing was describing a reality. So anyway, what are your thoughts on, on this? Because I know earlier in the week we had talked about this and the importance of feedback and, uh, and you were kind of in a very similar, similar boat. So what are your thoughts? No, I am. And, and I'm, I'm always looking as a employee, as a person, as an individual for opportunities to grow and to develop and become a better person, a better man, a better, um, better worker. Um, and in order for me to do that in any capacity, I have to know where my shortcomings lie. And if I cannot, if I don't allow myself to be open to receive either constructive criticism, um, positive accolades or feedback of any kind, and I shut myself off to those, I, I cannot grow as a person. What I guess really grinds my gears about the whole thing is when I have someone who actually says, Jason, I want your true and honest feedback. Um, positive or negative, I want to hear what you have to think. Nine times out of ten, the first thing I say is, no, you don't. Yes, I do. I really do. No, you don't. Because I'm going to tell you something and you're not going to like it. No, last time you don't want to hear it. It's okay. Let's move on. Now, usually that's about the point where somebody presses me to the point where I can't stop anymore. So I say, okay, just remember you wanted this and I 
give them the feedback. Here's what I think. Here's where I thought you did well. Here's where I thought you did um, poorly. Here's my suggestions on, on how to address it. And most of the time, that person looks me dead in the eye with a face like, oh, how dare you? Like I just slapped him in the face. I say, well, you asked for my opinion. And then, you know, sometimes they get upset and walk off. And it just absolutely infuriates me when you actually, not only did you ask, but then you continue to press and press until I have no choice but to give you that feedback, whether you're going to like it or not, with all the warning in the world, and you still get upset. And, and I wonder if we as just a whole society have become so soft that negative or constructive feedback, or, or excuse me, constructive criticism, negative feedback, just belittles us so much as individuals that we can't overcome that and we can't learn from that. We talked about this in, in um, our episode about mentoring. When you have somebody that you hold in high regard that's actually trying to groom you and build you up, true, honest, real-time feedback is absolutely vital and necessary for that person to grow. And sometimes it's a little yucky, but that doesn't mean that you're a terrible person because you, you didn't do great or you, you fell short. That means you have areas to improve. Great. Learn from it. Take, internalize it. Take some notes. Figure out how to do better with it and move on. Yeah, and I think one of the reasons why people get so offended when we give them feedback is because they, because of how they interpret the feedback. So when we, when we are successful, when we succeed at something and when we get feedback that tells us that we succeeded, right? We win the race or um, we doubled our money in a bet or something like that. Then we internalize that. And we, we, most people, most people will say, yeah, I was the one who did this. It was my skill. It was my knowledge of the game and betting and all of that, or it was my ability, my innate ability that I've honed over the number of years that allowed my success to happen. But if we fail, or if we're shown to have failed, most people's normal reaction is to look at things externally. And we say, well, you know, I failed the exam because the instructor did not give me enough time to take the, to take the exam or I failed because I failed the exam because people in my dorm room were really loud and ruckus last night and they kept me up. And so I wasn't able to get a good night's sleep. We make excuses that are external to ourselves. We don't, we don't reflect on that and say, well, what did I control in this process that led to this particular outcome? There may be external forces that contributed to your failure, just like there may be external forces that contributed to your successes, right? But even when we fail, we need to say, what is it that I own in this situation? And what can I control? Because you know what? I may not be able to control those external dependencies or those external variables, but I may have to control how I respond to them uh, so that I can set myself up for success or to better 
you know, improve my odds of, of achieving success. So when you give feedback for, to people, they, that's one, they read it as a, as a direct attack on their abilities and they immediately look external to them and say, well, it's because of that person. Right. Right. And sorry, you know, I, I had a, a moment just now as you were talking about that, where I can, I can hear my, my grandfather um, and my mom, who sounds a lot like my grandfather when it comes to life lessons, oddly enough. But, um, you know, they used to ask after um, a situation, a couple of them, I remember my grandfather asking me, he said, is there anything that you could have done different that could have changed the outcome? And before I could answer, he says, if the answer is yes, then you need to work on that. If the answer is no, then you need to let it go and move on. And it's a very, very simple, but very pure idea of being able to take ownership of the things that you can control. And those are within your power to manipulate. And therefore, it's your responsibility to own them and change them. If it's not, and you have to be very honest about what those are, but if it's not, then you chalk it up and you move on. And I think like you're right, um, we're very quick to take pride in all of our successes um, and to take total ownership of them without understanding maybe, <laughs> maybe there were some other things that weren't in our control that led to our success. Um, but on the other hand, um, if we fail, we immediately come up with excuses on why that's other people's fault or other person's fault or, or other situations fault. And that's, it's not us. Well, the only thing that that does is it completely shortcuts your ability to learn and grow from those situations. So there, there's one, there's one thing that you said in there that I, I agree with, but I slightly disagree with. Um, and you were talking about how, if you failed at something, if you failed at something, and if the reasons for that failure were external, then you have to just find a way to live with it and move on. And while I would, while I, I agree with that about 50%, but I would also challenge people to dig a little deeper. And that is, do you control any relationships with those external variables? Because for example, if you're working on a project, right, and the project fails, Let's say you're, you're working on a project for work and the project fails. And maybe it's very clear that it failed because management gave you 30 days to do a project that should have taken 18 months, right? And you might say, well, I didn't own, I didn't own anything because they put this constraint on me. And you may be absolutely correct. You're probably, for the sake of argument, let's say you're absolutely correct. They put on you a constraint that was impossible. But you also own, owe it to yourself and owe it to your team members and owe it to the organization to go to those, those, those leaders in your company and say, well, wait a minute, right? I need to tell you something because this isn't a 30-day project. This is an 18-month project. You can at least own that communication channel. You may not be successful. They may tell you, well, we're, you got to do it in 30 days regardless. Well, at least you tried, right? But if, if you were given the constraint and you did nothing, then you own a piece of that, right? You own a piece of that. And the piece that you owned was education for people that are external to you and external to your team. So, 
Agreed. Uh, 100% agree. And uh, again, back to, uh, to grandpa, he, uh, you could come up with about a hundred different things that were outside of your control. And he could come up with probably 90 other reasons why you didn't do anything to address that prior to. And so, yes, absolutely. And you use the example about the, uh, you know, people in your dorm room keeping you up. Well, did you go somewhere else? Was there anywhere else you could go? Did you go ask them to keep it down because you were studying? How did you address that situation? If you did nothing to change your parameters, then that's no longer outside. That is also on you. And, you know, I, um, I take a big lesson from my grandfather in that regard. He taught me a lot about personal responsibility. And, you know, if, uh, if you don't take the responsibility to change your situation, the likelihood is nobody's going to change it for you. And I'm sorry to say, but we are seeing a lot of that out in droves right now. It is nobody else's fault but your own if you do nothing for yourself to change your own situation. Nobody else is going to hand you the silver spoon. You need to change it for yourself. You have that power. You have that ability. Yeah, we talked about this before in season one. We talked about you know, the pathway out of poverty, for example. There are a lot of people in this country who they do live below the poverty line and they whine and cry that they are not being treated fairly. Uh, and this has given rise to the concept known as white privilege. They're making excuses that everybody else is going to be successful, not me, because I'm not white and whites have white privilege. Well, that's not one. That's not exactly true. There are studies, economic studies, show that a pathway out of poverty is very simple. Um, most Americans, if you finish high school, you work full time, and you don't have children until you're at least 25, your odds of getting out of poverty increase by a magnitude of like it's like 90 percent. It's like almost 100%. And so you control a lot of the cards. Because even if you, even if you can only make, based on your skill set, $25,000 a year, but you marry somebody that makes, also makes $25,000 a year, and you wait until you're done with high school, and you wait until you're older and more mature before you get married, then now your combined income is $50,000 a year, and the two of you can live not like kings per se, but you can live a very decent life on that, on that income. And if you work hard, then you can get promoted and more education gives you the keys to the kingdom. So when I hear people clamor and, and whine about white privilege, I say you were born into the, the most amazing country that has ever existed in the history of earth. There is no white privilege, but there is American privilege because you have the ability to go get a job and get an entry level job and work hard and pay your dues and learn skills. And especially now, especially now with the internet, and you might say, well, you know, I don't have internet at home. Um, well, you can go to a library 
and you can, you know, there are these things that have books in them and that have a wealth of knowledge that you can learn skills in called libraries. And we even give, we even give financial aid to those that do not have a lot of money so that they can get an education and they can get skill training. All of these things exist. It's just, you are not willing to do the hard work to grab the bull by the horns and, and get the job done. Because most people, I think, they want instant gratification. And you're not gonna do that. You're not gonna get that. Yep, yep. instant gratification and handed to them. Um, if it's something they have to physically work towards, um, then it's absolutely, it, it's not fair. And, and how dare the world oppress me in such a way that I am forced to actually have to, to take care of myself. Uh, um, I was very privileged to um, meet a young man from Saudi Arabia who talked about coming to this country for the opportunities that are here. And he, he was absolutely, um, I would consider to be a quote unquote minority race in this country. And yet, for a young man, and I want to say he was 25, I believe, is already got um, two doctoral degrees and working on another. Uh, and absolutely 100% just blowing up his own future with the opportunities afforded to him in this country. And he is not out there talking about how terrible his life is because he was not a white male. I'm sorry that I got news for you. Everybody out there. If you haven't seen me on screen, shocker, I am a white male and I have not been afforded any special opportunities over anybody else out there. Um, I don't have a, uh, an, a vault full of money and a whole bunch of opportunities provided for me. What I, what little I do have, I have had to bust my backside for and the life that I have for my two kids and my wife and myself, I have had to bust my butt for every single dime I have and everything I've got. You think anything was handed to me? Well, you know, there's a, there's a big misnomer um, among many Americans. And that is many, most people think that if I make, if I make a little bit more money, then I'm going to be better off. I'm going to live more well off. I'm going to have all of the things that I can, I've been wanting to do. But the reality of the situation is whether you're rich or poor, the rich even live within their means. And now maybe the, the wealthy, the wealthiest of Americans uh, don't really want for much, but who cares, right? Even people that are making $100,000 or $200,000 or even $300,000 a year, they tend to live um, barely within their means. So you think that, well, I'm making 80,000. If I just made 100,000, I'll be able to live in the lap of luxury. And what happens is you don't because your lifestyle changes based on your income. And it because it takes tremendous discipline to maintain your lifestyle and still make more money. And most Americans don't have that discipline. And so even if you get a $20,000 raise, you know, you switch jobs and are making an extra 20,000 and now you're making a six digit income, you're going to spend proportionally and you're still going to be in a situation where you're struggling, 
you're worried about the future, you're worried about do I have enough money to be able to pay my bills if I were to get laid off or if something were to happen. People who are making six-digit six incomes still have those same exact stressors that you have if you're making $50,000 a year. So, you know, my, my feedback to people is stop worrying about other people. Stop it. Right. Because it doesn't right. get you anywhere. Focus on about yourself and what you control because otherwise you're going to be right in the exact same boat as the people that you criticize and the people that you hate. And that doesn't do you or anybody else any bit of good. No, no. And, and the only thing that does is it creates, um, it creates anxiety. It creates hatred. Um, it creates depression because all you're seeing is everything you think you don't have. Um, and I got news for you. I guarantee you that there's probably wherever you are right now, there was probably a point in your life where you didn't have that. And you were envious of people that are in the situation that you are in right this moment. So think about that. Um, and yeah, you're right. If, if you suddenly got to a, a six digit salary or six figure salary tomorrow, you're going to spend it. I said the, the people that I find to be the most successful in maintaining a lifestyle when they get a huge increase in their income are ones who set something up to basically take that excess away from their abilities to spend prior to them ever getting it. Whether that's setting up a trust fund or a retirement fund or something of that nature where a good portion of that extra income is extrapolated out of their liquid assets or their liquid income so they can't touch it. That, and that's what, it's almost a artificial uh, constraint to force people to live in that same regard. Um, but honestly, if you spend an exorbitant amount of time thinking about what you don't have, you will never be happy with what you do. And it will always be someone else's fault. Well, and be careful what you wish for. So I've been in a situation where I was working for a couple of years and really hoping for a pay raise. Um, and I left my company for a different company at the time. And I increased my salary in the process of doing so. And I increased it at a decent rate. Um, it wasn't leaps and bounds per se, but it was at a, at a decent margin, at least what I thought was a decent margin. And lo and behold, to my total dismay, my first real paycheck at the, at the new company, I actually took home less money because the additional income put me into a higher bracket and now my taxes were a little bit higher than they were before. And my take home salary was actually in fact lower. That was a kick in the teeth. So you have to be, you know, you have to be careful, you, you, you know, you, yeah, you have to be careful on what you wish for um, because you might find that what you got isn't really necessarily what you wanted to begin with. Right, right. So I think this all goes back to, yeah, it, you know, what is it that you ahead. control? What is it that you control in your life to make your life better? And learning from that and the only way that you're going to improve the only way that you're going to get that promotion, the only way that you're going to get a new pay raise is to have a conversation with people and talk to your bosses or your supervisors or whatever and say, what is it that I need to do for myself so that I can get this 
pay raise or I can get this promotion, take control of that and make yourself better off so that when you, when the time comes that you are the best candidate for the job because you gained the education, the education and the skill sets needed to do that new job. Go ahead. Yeah, and I dropped a truth bomb. Now, this is a two plus two equals four level truth bomb, just as a disclaimer out there for everybody. But your supervisors at your work, your managers, your team members, your coworkers, they don't want you to fail. They want you to succeed. There's always going to be that one or two person out there, I guess, that just, just delights and other people kind of crumbling around them, but uh, you can usually sniff those out. For the most part, those other people want you to succeed because you make them look better. You make it easier for them to work with you and things get accomplished when you do better at your job. So if somebody is giving you constructive criticism or feedback, it's probably going to make you a better employee. And I would challenge probably a better person in the long run to take that, analyze it, apply it, learn from it, and put yourself to work in a better capacity. And I'm going to tell you, that's, that's going to make you a better person, not just a better employee. Because if you can do that at work, then you can do that at home. Then when your husband or wife or spousal unit of whatever manner um, tells you or gives you any kind of constructive criticism or feedback, you guys can actually grow and learn from that together. And that's going to help you in your marriage and help you in your house and your family. Um, you, we've got to stop being so fragile in our persons that we cannot accept any kind of, I, I call it just being somebody being mean. You know what? So what? Let people be a little mean. That's okay. If that's going to break you, then there's your criticism. There's your learning opportunity. Grow from that too. You know, when I was a when I was a graduate student and I was working on my dissertation um, for three years, I had people giving me just eviscerating my work. And what they were doing in the process, or what I finally realized, I mean, it's painful. You spend, you know, you spend dozens of hours and you're doing all of this work, and you're updating your manuscript and everything, and then you give it to your chair, and your chair just rips it apart, or you, you know, you give it to your methodologist and your methodologist rips it apart and you, you open it up and you just see nothing but, for lack of a better term, negative comments. But what they are is their comments to make you a better researcher. And that was something that it took me a few months to recognize that I had to real, I realized that, wait, they're trying to make me a better researcher by giving me this, this feedback and they're not attacking me. They're not attacking necessarily my ideas. They're attacking how my ideas connect with each other uh, and the proof that I have in setting up those ideas and proving those ideas. Um, and, and that was a very hard lesson to learn. It was very frustrating because I felt like I was spending uh, an exorbitant amount of time spinning my wheels and redoing things 
Um, but if you don't get that feedback, you're, you're not going to get better and you're not going to become a better whatever it is uh, in your job or the, the skill set. So I would encourage anybody to uh, look for opportunities to get feedback. And you know what? One of the easiest things, and I tell people when I'm coaching them in organizations, one of the easiest ways to deal with any negative uh, feedback that you might receive is to head it off at the pass. Spend a lot of time looking internally. What is it that I could improve? And then go to people and literally say, I'm interested in your feedback, but before you stop, say, I'm interested in feedback because here's what I think. And then be hard on yourself. We are always harder on yourself. So just embrace that first because then if somebody says, yeah, you're right, well then there's no, there's no real fight at that point. And it's easier on the ego. Your ego is not going to come out of that so bruised because you were, all, you were honest you were, and you're looking for that feedback automatically and you're looking specifically for the negative feedback. I think too many times when people say, I want feedback from you on what I'm doing, what they really mean is I want positive feedback from you on what I'm doing. And we shouldn't expect the positive feedback because guess what the positive feedback actually is? The positive feedback is your paycheck, is the ability for you to continue to work there. So look for those negative things about yourself and just put it out there in the open and say, this is what I'm struggling with. These are things, these are where I'm deficient and this is where I need help. Because then you, you avoid having those difficult decisions once a year and then you forget what the context is. So just put it out there and always be, always be analyzing your own actions and looking for the negative ones. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I, I remember a time where I was at work and I uh, had a coworker come up and said, man, I just, uh, I kind of feel like crap. And I said, really? Because you kind of look like crap. And <laughs> she got a little offended. <laughs> but I said, well, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I don't think that's quite what you were going for, but that's, uh, that's where I went. But honestly, I can, um, I can say there's been a lot of times I've gone up and said, you know, I wrote this out, but it's not working for me. I feel like I missed it or I feel like I went off track. I kind of need some help getting back. And what you're, what that really does is it allows the other person to basically get their guard or their defenses down automatically and say, okay, well, yeah, here's where I see you missed it. And now they're, they're, um, um, not conspiring with uh, the word I'm looking for. They're commingling with you on, on the difficulties you're having so that you can approach that, um, neutrally together. And, that's that's a very good tactic about going about it. The only caution I would give is don't um, don't try and steer them into the feedback that you're looking for because you may miss um, some of the things that you weren't seeing. So be open to that. Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, and one thing I should I shall I will say is, ladies, you got to be fair in this. <laughs> You got to be fair. So if you say, do I look fat in these pants? That's not fair. That's, it's not fair to put that out there. It really isn't. Because if you think it, 
then you know it to be true, right? <laughs> you, you know it to be true if you put it out there. So just don't put it out there. Because again, what you're looking for is positive reinforcement. You're not looking for anybody to agree with you. You are looking for your friend or your spouse to say, oh no, honey, you don't look fat in those pants. You look wonderful. So you would rather have us lie to you. So don't, don't, don't do that. Don't just don't do that. Every, every man out there is laughing and knows exactly what you're talking about. It's a, it's a trap. Those are trap <laughs> questions. Men, smart men shut up. They bite their lip and they either run away or just hide and they nah, mm -mm, not participating. I'm not going to do it. Um, but yeah, ladies, come on, give us a break. Don't ask us a question to which the answers may frighten you or cease asking scary questions. Yes. All right. Well, I think we kind of beat this topic enough. Um, do you have any last minute uh, ideas or things that we haven't talked about in this particular topic that you just um, want to throw out there? I, no, I guess... Um, uh, just to sum everything up, you know, we, we've talked a lot about teachers. Um, and you know, I remember my English teachers used to ask me to write those papers. Like, uh, what do you want to be when you grow up? Or, um, what did you do last summer? And I remember being super excited about handing those in because I had a really fun story to tell. And I remember feeling just terrible and dejected when I got those back and it was covered in red. Yeah. Um, but it took my mom actually to sit me down and say, well, it's not about your story. It's about how you put it together. So let's yeah. look at this and how can we make it better? Your construction so sucked. That's, that's <laughs> yeah, it did. <laughs> so, and that applies everywhere guys, you know, you're not a terrible person, but maybe what you did in that moment came off a little terrible. Um, you're not a bad employee but you could work a little better. There's, there's always room for us to grow. And there's always, if we are willing to take the responsibility for our own actions or inactions and choose to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and make the corrective changes to improve, then we as a country and as a nation, as a society, we can all improve together but the more we choose to place blame on everyone else for our earn our own hurt feelings our own ideas of lost opportunity or what everyone else has that we don't we cripple ourselves yeah i love it good final thoughts Thank you for taking us out. Was all, <laughs> no problem. <laughs> as always, send emails to contact at fusionunderground.net. Visit our webpage, fusionunderground.net. You can find us at, on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash um, AZ Fusion Underground. I had to uh, think about that for a minute because I almost forgot. <laughs> I almost forgot what I was going to say there. Um, and as always, you can find us on Twitter, YouTube, all that kind of good stuff. So until next time, 
For Jason Moret, I'm Manuel Ramirez. You've been listening to the Fusion Underground. Thanks, everybody. Peace out. Thank you.